couple of thousand years ago, Jesus walked up to a few guys and very simply said, follow me. For a few moments this morning, I want you to try to imagine what that would have been like. It shouldn't be too hard because in actual fact, this is the same Jesus who many of us, probably most of us, would confess that we too follow. That's why we're here in church on a Sunday morning because we're Christ followers. But just for a moment, try to imagine what that would have been like for those first disciples. They had lives, they had jobs, they had families, they had commitments, responsibilities, hobbies, a social network. And one day Jesus walked up to them right in the middle of their ordinary life and simply said, come and follow me. None of them could have had the slightest idea just what would ultimately, just what this would ultimately involve for them. Absolutely everything about Jesus, his teaching, his deep compassion for people, his all-encompassing wisdom, his life, his death, his resurrection, his power and authority would shape and then reshape and remake absolutely every part of their lives. Within a few short years, these simple tradesmen would be standing before some of the most powerful rulers on earth and being accused of turning the world upside down. What started out with a simple yes, simple obedience when Jesus said, follow me, ended up changing their lives forever and ultimately changed the whole world. 2,000 years later, millions of people all over the world continue to read about what Jesus did in the lives of these first disciples on a daily basis. And the testimony of those lives continues to have enormous impact in our world today. But what does it actually mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, the answer to that question is really very simple. But the impact of actually living out the reality of being a disciple of Jesus will, I mean, it has to completely change your life. The word disciple means student or apprentice. Disciples in Jesus' day would follow their teacher, their rabbi, around and learn from them about every aspect of their life. They would literally live with their rabbi and learn to model their life on his life. The aim was that their life would mimic his life. So basically a disciple of Jesus is a follower of Jesus. But only if we take, only if we take this very literally... So therefore, becoming a follower of Jesus is incredibly simple. You just obey his call to follow him. That's it. It's not complicated. It's actually very simple. Just follow Jesus. Now, those very first followers of Jesus may not have known where they were going. They may not have known where they would ultimately end up. But they knew what it meant to follow, and that is exactly what they did. They left what they were doing, and they went with Jesus everywhere he went. And they did what he did. I want to say to you this morning very, very clearly, you cannot be a follower of Jesus and not end up being like Jesus. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and not end up being like Jesus. In Luke's gospel, we find Jesus saying these words. This is Luke chapter 6. He said, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. The whole point of being 
a follower of Jesus is that we end up like him in every aspect of our life. Now, obviously, we're not going to become first century carpenters with a beard and long hair and who wears those funny sandals, but we will imitate his life. We will continue his ministry, the ministry he began, and we will become more and more like him as we do that. You won't stop being who you are. I won't stop being who I am. I won't stop being the husband of Louise and the father of my children and the pastor of this church. But when I learn how Jesus would be the husband of Louise, how Jesus would be the father of my children, and how Jesus would love and care and lead in my vocation. If you're a Christian, the whole point is that you learn to be like Jesus in everything. Yet somehow, many people have come to believe something completely different from that truth. Many have come to believe the lie that you can be a Christian without being like Christ. Many churchgoers, my dad used to love that expression. He used to say, you know, you know so-and-so, apparently he's a very keen churchgoer. You know that? He's a very keen churchgoer. Many churchgoers have decided to take on the name of Christ, but nothing else. Can you imagine how stupid it would have seemed if Jesus had walked up to those first disciples and said, Hey guys, how you doing? Look, would you you mind just kind of identifying yourself with me in some way? Maybe you could call yourself a Christian. Don't worry, it's not going to cost you anything. I don't want you to actually do anything I do or change how you live or anything like that. Would you mind just saying you believe in me and if someone asks, just tell them you're a Christian? Would that be okay? I mean, that is ridiculous, is it not? Yeah, that is exactly how so many so-called Christians actually live their lives. Many churchgoers have decided to take the name of Christ, but that's where it ends. Now, if someone accused you of being a Christian, would there actually be any evidence to prove that you are a follower of Christ, that your life is and continues to be modelled on the life of Christ? What evidence is there other than your words? I'm a Christian and I believe in God and I go to church well, pretty, pretty regularly. Seriously, would there be any evidence of the life of Christ found in your life if someone had a close look at your life? I want you to ask yourself this hard question right now and I've been asking myself this question all week. Up to this point in my life, would I call myself a Christ follower? Would I call myself a follower of Jesus? And why do I say that? Could I even tell someone else about what Jesus is like? Am I really a Christ follower? These are hard questions, aren't they? to really understand how to become an authentic follower of Jesus, not some kind of self-created idea of what it means to be a Christian, to really understand what this means, we need to start where Jesus started. And we need to listen very carefully to his word. That would be a good idea, wouldn't it? To not start with our own ideas of what it means to be a Christian, but to actually start with the words of Jesus. That makes sense, doesn't it? Let's see what Jesus said about following him rather than making up our own criteria. Now, it is true that Jesus did say to his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus said those words. But before that, earlier than that, 
the Bible records one simple statement which Jesus made, which makes it very clear just exactly what he meant. And it's really quite a shocking statement. But in these handful of words, Jesus summarizes our whole dilemma as human beings. In Matthew 4.17, Jesus said, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. If we take Jesus' word literally, if we take his word here literally, a mighty king is marching toward us. His army is immense. His power and might is beyond comprehension. And this king has declared that everyone, every single one of us, has rebelled against his rule and we, as a result, are his enemies and we deserve to die. Just try to think this through. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven or at other times he speaks of the kingdom of God. Are we all clear on this? The approaching king which Jesus spoke of is God. And if God is God, you haven't a hope in hell of resisting the living God. Yet I've had someone at this point say to me, and they seem to be utterly con convinced of what they were saying, that they could, in their own words, that they could handle God. And when I replied, what? You reckon you're going to take on God and win? And they replied, and I swear this is true, they said, hey, I drive a big truck. I do. I drive a big truck. And I'm a pretty capable guy. I can cope with anything. That's my problem. I just don't really need God's help. You might need him, but I don't need him. This guy just did not get it. Jesus said, repent, turn from your rebellion, turn from your sin, because the king is coming and the king declares the punishment for sin is death. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when you come to the realisation that resisting him is useless and you have no means of fighting back? What are you going to do? Well, apart from sticking your head in the sand, apart from sticking your head in the sand, I'm not listening, I'm not listening, I don't believe anything in the Bible, you only have one option. Your only hope is to make peace with this king. Your only hope is to repent which means to turn. Your only hope is to repent of your rebellion and to turn the other way, coming under the rule of this king who is marching toward you. I'm not making this story up. This is what Jesus said. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The anger of the approaching king is very real, and it is just. If God is God, then he has every right to be angry at those who have rebelled against his rule. He's the only one who has a right to rule in his universe. Your sin and my sin is a great offence against the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And as a result, we should expect death. But then comes the most amazing truth. The death penalty we should have received from this king was actually paid by someone else. The king's son, Jesus Christ, who is also, get this, who is also the messenger. The scriptures say in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth 
that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We are saved by the grace of God, the approaching king, through what Jesus has already done for us on the cross. Everything which needed to be done to appease the anger of the approaching king, God, has been done already by Jesus. And this is why Paul wrote to the Ephesians, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. So no one may boast. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Your rebellion is forgiven because Jesus took the punishment on himself. All you can do, all you must do, is repent or or turn around from walking away from God to walking toward God. And as we've just read, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Salvation is all about the grace of God. There is absolutely nothing you can do to save yourself or to earn God's favour. No one can brag about their good deeds because your works, good or bad, cannot save you. Salvation comes through the grace of God as we place our faith in Jesus Christ. All salvation requires is faith. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? It's so simple, isn't it? Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? That is so simple. It is simple, but it is not easy. And this is where I think so many people go astray. So many people think that it's about believing that Jesus is the Son of God or that he really lived and died and rose from the dead. Or they think, as I said at the beginning, that as long as they call themselves a Christian, they will be saved. That is not what the Bible says. The Scriptures say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. If you confess that Jesus is Lord, have you ever thought about what that word Lord means? It is not his name. It is who he is. You know, I remember talking to a friend of mine who, who's a doctor, and I know for a fact that he is a staunch atheist, He does not believe in God, but he knows that I'm a Christian. He knows that I'm a pastor, and I guess he probably spends a fair bit of time talking to Christians, and he knows how we speak. And it really struck me that when he was talking to me, he kept referring to the Lord and talking about the Lord. And I thought to myself, you don't even believe that he exists. He is not your Lord. You see, this guy thought that was his name. Let me say, it is not his name. It is who he is. The word Lord refers to a master, an owner, or a person in a position of authority. So just think that through for a moment. Do you really believe that Jesus is your master? Do you really believe that he is your owner? That you actually belong to him? 
The, the Apostle Paul understood this and he wanted to make sure the Corinthian believers got it, saying very clearly to them, you are not your own, own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Do you see what he's saying? The same Lord, the, the Son of the King, the Son of God, who by his grace sets us free from sin and death, now owns us. We belong to him and he calls us to live in obedience to his rule. The problem is many, many, many churchgoers want to confess that Jesus is Lord. They happily declare, I'm a Christian and I love God, yet deep down they don't believe he is their master, their owner, their Lord, and deep down that notion is deeply offensive to them and their lives sadly bear witness to this truth. They come to church for the benefits of being part of a community of, of nice people. They receive support when it's needed. Their, their kids are hopefully provided with a nice group of friends in a, a safe environment. The pastor will write them a reference to get their kids into a nice school and when they die there's that insurance policy against the possibility of hell being a real place. But any talk about Jesus actually owning them and, and having rights over them and that he might demand obedience from them are quickly shut down. Do you see the contradiction here? Jesus calls us to follow him just as he called that first group of young fishermen to follow him. He calls us to spend the rest of our lives learning how we would live our unique, God-given life. The call to be a disciple of Jesus is open to everyone, but we don't get to write our own job description. If Jesus is Lord, then he sets the agenda. If Jesus is Lord, then your life belongs to him. If Jesus is Lord, then he has a plan, an agenda, and a calling for you. You don't get to tell him what you'll be doing today or for the rest of your life. Now, please don't get the impression that following Jesus is all about joyless sacrifice. The decision to follow Jesus ultimately flows from the realisation that God loves us and has sacrificed himself to save us. And we love him and we choose to follow him because he first loved us. It says in Romans 5, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Do you see that? God was righteously angry with us, all of us because of our sinfulness. For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now rec received reconciliation. You know, as Francis Chan, who I'm very indebted to for this series of messages and his great book. Do you want to buy a great book? It's called Multiply, Disciples Making Disciples by Francis Chan. As he writes, following Jesus is not about diligently keeping a set of rules or conjuring up the moral fortitude to live good lives. It's about loving God and enjoying him. Following Jesus 
It's about loving God and enjoying him forever. But lest we think that we can love God and then live any way we want to live, Jesus made this very clear statement. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And how did Jesus say we should live? Well, Once again, it's very clear. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. So let's be really clear on this. Let's go back over the track we've been on. You can't be a Christian by just calling yourself a Christian, by identifying yourself with Christ. You have to be a follower of Jesus, one who seeks to model their whole life on Jesus' life. And you can't do that unless you confess he is your Lord, your master, your owner, and that he sets the agenda for your whole life from now on. You can't write your own job description. He writes it. And you can't do any of that without loving God because that's the only adequate response to a God who has overwhelmed us with his love and forgiveness and grace. And you demonstrate your love for God by obeying his commandments and by loving those God places before you. The Apostle John wrote, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, Somebody said to me many years ago something that has stuck with me. They said, a measure of your maturity in Christ is your relationships with your brothers and sisters. You cannot have this, the, the, the vertical, without this, the horizontal. And you can't have this, the horizontal relationships with people without getting the relationship with God right. They're dependent on each other. This is what John is saying. Whoever loves God must also love those around him. You know, I know people who confess to being Christ followers. They say they love God, but they'll also quickly say, I hate that person. I can't stand that person. I just don't talk to that person. I ignore them. As far as I'm concerned, they are a non-person. When I walk into the room, if they're there, I just ignore them. Or they say they love God. They'll tell you they are a Christ follower, a Christian, but their life exhibits not the slightest hint of Christ-like behaviour. And they'll quickly tell you how you should be sending asylum seekers back where they came from. At the start of Jesus' ministry, he boldly declared, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was at the start of his ministry. You know, In the coming years, Jesus would complete the work the Father had given him. He originally said the kingdom is coming, but by the time he left his disciples and returned to his Father's side, he had decisively defeated death and sin by his work on the cross. And then he was able to confidently tell his disciples, this is Matthew 28, 18, he says, For all authority in heaven and on earth has now been given to me. All that is left now is for Jesus to return on the day of judgment to bring forth the final consummation of his kingdom. And speaking about that day, Jesus said these words. He said, Many will say to you on that day, Lord, Lord, as though it was his name. 
Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, Don't build your life on the shaky foundation of your own DIY belief system. Let me assure you that that will count for zip when you stand before the living God and you have to give account for your life. Listen to the words of Jesus and decide now to repent, to turn from your sins, to become a fully committed follower of Jesus. Let's pray. Now maybe, maybe God has been speaking to you this morning and you would like to respond to this message. Can I pray for you this morning? If if you want to respond to God and you're not sure how you might pray, could I pray for you and you can pray with me? Maybe you've never done this before, that's fine. Maybe you've been a churchgoer. Maybe you've been a pew sitter for many years. Maybe you've just taken the name of Christ, but that's about it. And you want to draw a line in the sand now and say, no, from now on, I want to learn how Jesus would live my life. I want to model my life on his. And I want to genuinely repent and turn from my sins. Could you pray this prayer with me now, knowing that the living God hears us? Dear Lord Jesus, I am sorry for rebelling against you and going my own way for all the years of my life. And right now, I want to respond to your word I want to repent of my sins. I want to turn and stop walking away from you. I want to walk toward you. And I pray that you would help me day after day to be more and more like you. Lord, thank you for washing me clean of my sins. Lord, thank you for taking the consequences of my sin on yourself and dealing with them. Lord Jesus, I want to be a fully committed follower from now on. And I ask that by your grace, you would enable me to do that with all of my strength. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.